0: Thank you so much for listening to Pushing Praxis, Dialogues for Transforming Teaching. This is a podcast with Celeste and Naina, where we talk with educators, organizers, students, parents, and all stakeholders in the education of our young people.
1: We're here to push ourselves to take theories and put them into practice in our classrooms, even and especially
0: when it gets messy. Also, we're full-time educators, not professional podcasters. We're recording these conversations during the socially distanced pandemic, often on weeknights and from our respective homes. So expect background noise and fatigue and real unpolished human complexities showing up in these conversations.
1: We're here to transform ourselves and our listeners through dialogues. So come along for the ride with us.
0: down with Corey Winchester, a high school history teacher from Evanston Township High School. Corey helps us pause, reflect, and listen deeply to ancestors, mentors, colleagues, and students. He models for us what it means to mindfully build loving and critical spaces for our students while never forgetting where we came from and who continues to influence us as educators. Just as Corey talks about being indebted to his teachers, we are indebted to Corey for taking the time and slowing us down to carefully consider the students we teach and ensuring they're seen and centered in our curricular choices. Slow down, reflect, and take a listen. Welcome, Corey. We're so excited to be talking with you. Um, For our listeners, we're speaking with Corey Winchester. And I'd love to start us out with Corey, if you would introduce yourself to people listening um introduce yourself as you think folks should know you in this conversation and that of course like we're Oof. teachers and whatnot but you're a human so yeah yeah <laughs> as, people, I as people should know you <laughs>
2: um y'all gonna have me just cut me off if i talk too long you know with this introduction <laughs> um uh my name is Corey winchester i use he him his pronouns uh let's see i identify as a queer black philly born Um, first-generation college graduate from a loving family Um, I am an educator I'm a son I love to eat Um, I like hanging out with people so 2020 has been a hard year Um, I think (laughs) I love hard Uh, I think I'm a very loving person I'm here for adventures. I like trying new things. I love to travel and I'm excited to be here to share a little bit about what I've been doing. I've been teaching um for the last 11 years professionally. I've had some, you know, cuz we're always teaching and learning mm-hmm. um even before we take on this title as teachers. I think a lot mm-hmm. of us engage in 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 that um and so I've had a couple of experiences before I started teaching um that I think connect back to uh who I am and and why I do this this work. So I think that's me in a nutshell. I tried to keep it short. Oh, it's beautiful.
1: Up. Yeah. you. I think, you, that, was I think that was good. Um, uh <laughs> and so uh we wanted to know like more about like uh your school and uh your teaching context, you know, like uh demographics you know of your students so if you can uh, kind of tell us stuff like that that's uh that's the next uh segment
2: <laughs> yeah well do you want me to talk about the school yeah i'll talk about the school and i'll give you context mm-hmm. for the kids that i have taught and then the kids i got this year
1: oh so okay okay cool, cool, yeah. cool. There's,
2: there's, there's some nuance up in there i actually met Ooh. Uh, Celeste, and you know, we, we were co- co-workers, we were colleagues together mm-hmm. back okay. at, uh, well not back, well when you were there at ETHS, uh, I work at Evanston Township High School, I've been teaching uh, U.S. history the entirety of my, my career there and I've taught a whole bunch of other classes, um, I've taught AVID, like all four levels of the high school, AVID elective I've taught Asian studies, Latin American studies, human behavior. Uh, the course that is like out kind of my crown jewel is sociology of class, gender, and race, um, which mm. is a senior elective.
0: I would like to sign up for that course. Anytime, anytime. <laughs>
2: um, it's virtual, so that's easy just to get you in. Um, I have also taught uh, a couple of independent studies for students, um, one on leadership, uh, leadership development. I've done some, I think the other thing that I'm really passionate about and uh, folks may, you know, know of me in the, in the extended Evanston community is for my work with Students Organized Against Racism, which is a student organization, <laughs> obviously, um, and it's been at ETHS. Since 2012. And so I've been uh, helping to uh, develop that space um, really since its inception. And I've seen some really tremendous uh, things happen with the students who've decided to be involved. Um, And it's been a a really neat, uh, I think, for my positionality, like that context, um, it's been a really cool intergenerational space uh i do this work with um we call each other intellectual homies um but my intellectual homie colleague friend uh taronda woods who is a biology teacher
1: taronda woods i know taronda oh, i was gonna ask see. you if you knew her <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. i sure yeah. do that's my homie
1: woods. yes i know her for sure and i was I was, when you were talking, I was like, I bet he knows her. Um, yeah, yeah he that does, is like, does.
2: that's my, that's, that's homie. She fam, she's fam. Yeah, <laughs> um, a, I
1: like Toronto too. She's pretty cool. Hey,
2: so. Toronto come and talk up on here. She sure will.
1: I know um, she would. We'll, we'll get her <laughs> soon. <laughs> hey.
2: um, but to answer your question, because I digress a little bit. Um, ETHS is in Evanston. And I think a lot of folks... In the Chicagoland area and outside of it have a, I think they have a pretty narrow understanding of what it is. And I don't mean that to place judgment on how people understand it. But when you live there, uh, when you work there, uh, I lived there when I was uh, an undergrad. So when you live there, when you work there, um, you learn a lot about the community and you, you understand it as much more nuanced than what it appears to be. Right. Mm-hmm. And so if y'all saw little fires everywhere, <laughs> it's mm-hmm. kind of it's it's some of that. Um, but it's it's a lot of things. Uh, so the community is in the burbs in the north shore of Chicago. So there's a lot of wealth there. Um, Northwestern University is in the backyard.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: But um, we're a fringe suburb. Um, and so it's the first, first suburb just outside of Chicago. Um, so we have, you know, families who move to this community or um, who have um, like generational connections to the community. And that's somewhat across the board across the, the racial dynamics, whether you're black, whether you're Latinx, whether you're white, um, and for you know the other minorities um like indigenous folks and asian folks there's a lot of people who have multiple identities racial identities but you can find everything there um and that's not something that i think a lot of people understand because you hear evanston i think you just assume the wealth um and the whiteness as the part of the space which is a big part um but there, it's really multifaceted and it's uh it's a segregated town it's a segregated city um Mm. and it really mimics chicago it's like a mini chicago Mm. um Mm. where you know the north side is well north like north evanston is primarily white (laughs) you Mm -hmm. know um just like the north side of chicago is and then um the west end which they refer to in the south end of evanston it's like the west side and the south side with Latin, black and Latin, latinx populations you know if you live by the lake you got money um and that's true of the evanston community as well so to me it's it's a really interesting space that can't be reduced to this well it just has a lot of privilege which is mm-hmm. a part of the narrative mm-hmm. um yet when you are in it on the ground engaging with students as they have to go to you know schools in Evanston, it's a lot different.
1: So, what can you tell us about like your student population? So, what's the yeah. demographics?
2: Yeah, so uh, there are about 3,800 students that go to high school at ETHS, like 3,800 kids in one building. That's and a lot,
1: that,
2: that's, <laughs> that's a, a lot of that's kids. A, that's a lot, that's a whole lot. <laughs> um, I so just me personally, I grew up in Philly. Um, My high school, although it was a magnet school, we only had 450 kids. So when I stepped into Evanston for the first time, I said, what
1: the hell? Like, what is this? (laughs) Oh, Um, wow. Yeah, that's (laughs) totally different than uh, Philly.
2: (laughs) Very different. Very different. Um, And 55% of the students at ETHS are students of color. It's about 28, 29% black, 18% Latinx. uh, And then... 45% of the students are white. Um, We have a lot of students that carry multiple racial identities. Um, There's a handful of Asian identifying students um, and a very, very tiny population of uh, indigenous students in our space too. So we got everybody. I tend to say that Evanston's kind of like the United States
1: Oh, okay. Now, would you, know, you describe Evanston as, um, I know that you were talking about the students and, and, and the wealth uh, gap between the students, but would you say uh, Evanston as a school, would you say it's a well-resourced school or an underfunded sure. school? Oh, it, is okay. a, it
2: is a highly resourced school, um, which is interesting because at the end of the day, we still end up perpetuating a lot of the same inequities with student outcomes students existences how they see and understand their humanity um, as does some places that aren't funded in the same ways that we are Uh, Mm. we have a a student uh, part of our demographics is that 40% of our kids are in free or reduced lunch Mm. which I don't think a lot of people know Um, and while that's not that's nowhere near the percentage that we see in some schools in CPS, um, that are in you know all black or all Latinx areas that are dealing with, um, you know the impacts of our racist capitalist society. You know it's it's something that's present in there too. Um, forty percent mm-hmm. of thirty eight hundred kids is still a
1: significant. That's significant. Mm-hmm. Now, would yeah. you say? Um, just thinking about the resources still. Would you say that um, in terms of it being a well-resourced school, do you feel like um, the resources uh, that are needed to help um, the Black students and the Latinx students uh, that are struggling, um, do you think that they're, do they get access to, to uh, resources? Because uh, the school could be well-resourced, but are uh, the Black students, the, the ones that are in need, are they getting um, the resources or access to the resources that you think that they need?
2: Yeah, that's a complex <laughs> conversation too. Um, I would say like for me as an outsider coming into the community, um, there are like, different classes of like racial identities, right? So there's a healthy black middle-class in Evanston hmm. that's been there for generations. Um, because you know Evanston was a streetcar community um, and a lot of the families that have been there for generations moved there and worked for the wealthy white folks that lived over by the lake in those mansions that have two sets of stairwells you know one for them and then one for the servants and when the servants left they went and <laughs> uh, you know lived in their homes uh, that were further west away from the lake still in Evanston so there's there's that piece, right. Um, There are a lot of, uh, there are a lot of Mexican immigrants that have come and settled in, in Evanston, too, where uh, there used to be a lot of factories, um, like out in the Fifth Ward out in the West End. Um, And so I think folks have settled there, and have known how to navigate the, the the community um and so i think for those that are familiar with the with the school familiar with how things work um it's easier to navigate and well i don't say it's easier they they know how to play the game um and i think that's something that black and latinx families have to learn how to do in order to survive and what
1: Um, do you mean by that know how to play the game
2: Yo, so uh, you have to know how to, how to advocate, you have to know who to talk to, to, uh, you know, get, your, get your, your, your kids the support that they need.
1: Um, so are you saying that the, the students of color, they have to uh, know how to, they have to kind of learn how to navigate the system versus the white students may not have to learn how to navigate the system? Is that what exactly. you're saying? Exactly.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. um, there, there were for a long time. And what I have appreciated about ETHS is there's, a, there's an active commitment towards uh, like anti-racism there. Uh, <laughs> and it's, it's complex, um, but they've made a lot of strides over the years to try to disrupt the ways that opportunity hoarding would be present. Um, which is something that has benefited a lot of uh, white families um, and white students who have attended Evanston generationally. Um, And, you know, from what classes you should take or, uh, you know, um, what extracurricular activities you'd be able to participate in All of those have (laughs) there's access points that you have to know how to uh, navigate, um, Mm -hmm. I think. And so that's something that was really new for me to witness and to see, because that's Mm -hmm. not an experience that I had um, had myself growing up in in Philly. Mm
0: -hmm this is so helpful to like as someone who grew up in the suburbs who had family that grew up in Evanston, mm-hmm. um, uh, and who's lived in Chicago for the past decade plus, like, I just learned a lot of new things about Evanston. <laughs> and for people who aren't familiar with the Chicago area, or who don't know Evanston, like, that's such important context to be able to make sense of, um, like, why you do what you do in your classroom. I wanted to just say that you you mentioned before that there's a new group in 2020 of students that have layers. Oh, well, I was just it? saying.
2: Well, this year I teach uh, four sections of AP United States History, mm-hmm. um, and one of the things that ETHS has been working on in my like tenure there has been um, like detracking and providing like equitable access to classes. Um, but yeah, this is the the most AP classes I've ever had, and I would say about 80 75 to 80 percent of my students in that space are white mm. um and so for me as a black mm. educator this is the most like this is the 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 highest concentration of of, of like white students that I've ever taught in my career
1: wow um, but you said that they were detracking so what what's going on with the de And <laughs> then if if, well, if if um if all of your students are in AP that they're, they're white. I mean, isn't that the whole point of detracking so I think I think so. That would be my question. Yeah.
2: But I I also think too we have to really interrogate even these these standards and these ideas of what success are. And there's this like constant push to get kids to take AP classes as if they're the the pinnacle of excellence.
1: Mm.
2: Um and I think this is something that like the the education arena has a, a lot of work to do, um, mm-hmm. but we privilege AP and, and IB, and that becomes the standard for excellence. Um, but we don't talk about the courses and the experiences that we offer uh, for what could be considered an honors class or, quote, like these are these th- these are uh, terms that are used at ETHS, so honors classes or regular classes like. Uh, so last night I worked uh together when I had a lot of uh e l l students mm-hmm. um and aside from a bilingual program, I got not see the type of uh investments to developing you know dope curricular experiences for you know bilingual students as I see efforts being placed into, you know, getting kids to take more AP classes, right? Mm. Because at the end of the day, we know those are the metrics that make Evanston pop out as a great school. Mm-hmm. And those are the things that we hear um, in, in the media publications, you know, the rankings uh, year to year. Those are the metrics that are used to, mm. to validate the work that is being done, mm-hmm. you know, to try to push kids into AP. And, you know, I've worked with teaching U.S. history. I've had all levels. Um, And my honors classes uh, have been the ones that uh, have been most, you know, diverse.
1: You said that now you have four AP classes, but you have they're all white. So you're so you're saying that still without the the track, the detracking that they've done, It still hasn't given uh, more black students access to the the AP course that you're teaching. Is that what you're saying?
2: Or, you know, because you can sign up for it. Uh, I think there's also, in certain respects, stigmas about spaces. And Mm -hmm. students know that. Um, You know, they're Mm -hmm. aware of it. So Mm -hmm. I think sometimes students are... Like I chose this course, you know I, th- I think sometimes it's it could be a self-preservation thing or like I even remember when I and I went to I went to a magnet school in Philly. Um, I didn't take some AP courses because I was intimidated by them. I was like, this ain't a space for me. Mm-hmm. you know okay. um, And I feel that for some students that that may be the case. Mm-hmm. Um, like i've mm-hmm. I've had conversations with kids who were in my AP class we're like I don't think I can do it how come well there's a lot of white kids in this space and Mm. I don't want to feel stupid and I'm like this is not about that you have knowledge and experiences to share and so one of the things that I know is true about um how black students how latinx students how folks of color see themselves is that we don't even um like recognize our own knowledge systems and the things that we bring mm. to the table because of how racism um and white supremacy have demonized our the knowledge that we do carry and do mm. share and mm. that's perpetuated in schools, and evanston isn't um you know it's not an exception to that
1: and going from that uh, I think this is a good segue into our our next uh, uh question is basically um Who or what influences your teaching um like what scholars pedagogies research community leaders um what what influences your teaching so what you know could we expect you know to kind of pick up uh if we visited (laughs) your class who would we be like oh you know who who's gonna uh influence who's influencing your teaching so
2: yeah um So I do got to give a shout out and I know y'all can't see, but my first grade teacher is here. Oh Oh Um, my
1: God. You
0: you have have that picture picture right next to your computer? I
2: do. I do. (laughs) She, She actually gave it to me. Oh, um, so
0: awesome.
2: awesome. awesome. lovely! <laughs> so wait
0: for people who are listening. Can we just say that that was literally like like a small printout of like a class photo, like like a la '90s, a la early. No, with I like the
2: say? Sears background. it got like the oh, laser backgrounds no. that yeah. you got to choose. That is so
0: cool school photos yeah. maybe we can put that in the I show am? notes the I picture know of it. oh my god that's, baby that's Cory they're really <laughs> good picture of baby Cory adorable yeah, that's awesome. that's, yeah. okay sorry so, I have to flesh that out for people <laughs> listening
2: <laughs> I have to give a shout out to my first grade teacher Miss. Uh, uh, I still call her Miss Gray uh, she's like call me Andy now I'm like this is really hard for me to do I learned your name when I was <laughs> six years old and at 32 I still haven't broken out of it um, but uh so i had her in first grade and as you can see my class looks a lot different than the one that i explained Um, yes yes you know uh, what i feel that miss Craig did as a as a white woman um is that she saw us as human beings Mm. right and and i i feel like i gotta be careful with that because i don't want that to get lost in the erasure of the art the identities that we carry because that never happened they were acknowledged in this space there was an there was an understanding of how we showed up in our racialized gendered bodies whatever um and she loved us she loved us hard so much so that she asked the principal and this is like in an urban school district if she can keep our class so we were together in second grade we were together in third grade And that's a bit of an anomaly, you know, in a big district. You don't get to you don't get to do that. Right. And she did. So we looped. We looped with her. And I realized I was like, oh, we looped when I learned some educational jargon. I was like, oh, I looped with my teacher, you know. um,
1: um, So we were
2: together for three years um, and she got to know us. She really knew our families. Um, Hmm. As a matter of fact, like she's been she is family to me she was at my high school graduation well okay i gotta go back she was i, I was in her wedding um sixth grade so i was 12. Um, wow that's awesome you know we we had dinners together uh when my granny passed away miss gray and her mother came to the funeral wow uh, she was at my high school graduation she was at my college graduation and when I won the Golden Apple Award, that was, like, my highlight. I was like, Miss Gray, you have to be here.
1: Aww. Oh, that's awesome.
0: Yeah. I have goosebumps everywhere. Goosebumps. <laughs> oh, I know. I'm going to ugly
2: cry. I'm not going to ugly cry on this <laughs> either. Uh, <laughs> um, oh, my God. That's,
1: but, awesome, uh, that's yeah, awesome. Yeah,
2: yeah. So I, I have to credit her um, because I think she's one of the reasons why I've – Done what I've done with the the, the type of energy that um, it requires and has required of me. Um, like teaching is a really selfless. Well, no, okay, it can be really selfless, and it can also be a selfish thing too. Um, but for me, it's been one where I feel like I've devoted a lot of my energies, like a lot of time, a lot of uh, love, a lot of labor um into this because of what i saw her do Mm -hmm. um and so Mm -hmm. that's that's where i gotta i gotta start there and then you're gonna have me start pulling my books on the bookshelf so where do Mm -hmm. i get um you know my inspiration from i've had lots of educators and i feel like i've been able to pick and choose the best and merge them all together Mm um so i often tell
1: people that i'm a a compilation of all of the teachers that I've interacted with over the years that I've taken yes. uh, the things from them to incorporate into my own teacher toolbox. So I kind of I feel what you're saying. So I, I agree yeah. with that.
2: I like yeah. the, the best of all that. But you know what? And like in that way, it's like who are your, your teacher, like elders and, and ancestors? Like, yes, you know, yes, yes, um, yes. It becomes this like familial experience. And mm-hmm. even for folks that I may have read in a book, I still find myself, you know, connected. So one of the, I think one of the earliest people, and I will say ETHS has been really great with the, the professional development experiences. And I wonder if folks have been able to synthesize a lot of the, the experiences that we've had access to in the ways that I have, because I feel like if you if you did that, like you get you you got some great things to work with, and so. Mm-hmm. That's where I was introduced to Jeff Duncan Andrade um, who's done a lot of work. He's actually stepped foot in my classroom once before and I kind of like was like, oh shit like you in my classroom I don't know what to do. I've been teaching for four years and you have done tremendous things um, in mm-hmm. pushing uh, you know us to, to do better by um, kids of color and to see their humanities right So you know Jeff Duncan Andrade has been one for me. he's written a couple of books um uh gracely boggs who is uh you know she she grew up in detroit not an educator in a traditional sense mm-hmm. um but has done a lot of powerful work uh a lot of activist work um like four i don't want to say four um but with uh, black folks like she worked alongside black folks her husband um, was a black man. She lived in Detroit for 60 years. She was a part of the struggle. Angela Davis said in um, Gracie Boggs's like documentary that perhaps she may have done more for the black community than you know some other black folks. And so you know I share that because I find what she's contributed to me to be uh, gold, and that mm-hmm. comes in. How to see and understand people's humanity? How to build a space for reflection? How to encourage yeah. revolution through like ideological change and shifting? Mm. So Gracie Boggs is another one. Uh, Bettina Love mm. is mm. is homie. Um, I really want to be friends with her. So you know when y'all get this published, <laughs> just like at her, I, you know.
1: <laughs> cool, cool,
2: cool. We'll cool do. <laughs> but. And I, I did have a chance to, to just meet her once, and I brought my book, and mm-hmm. she signed it, and she said, Corey, we will win. And so there's so much where I feel like I've been able to take from great educators. Um, I, I have two um, uh, master's degrees, uh, one from Loyola University of Chicago and the other one from Northwestern. And I've had great educators uh, in those spaces uh, Oyan Poon uh, Dr. Oyan Poon who is back in Chicago uh, really introduced me to lots of authors and texts that I hadn't experienced Um, that was just like why didn't I get this as an undergrad mm. Um, mm. you know uh, I had like John Dugan uh, Kate Filippo like these are all educators that have helped me think differently and then at, at at Northwestern, I got family that I'm like, like, here for. So, uh, Dr. Megan Bang, Dr. Yes, Shereen.
1: Megan Bang, yeah. yes, yeah.
2: yes. Uh, Shireen Vasuki, uh, like, um, these are all folks that I've had the opportunity to work in community with. And I would be um, remiss if I didn't talk about, like, my colleagues. And I know I named a lot of, like, educational. Like people that, you know, we can pick up a book and, and experience because I've learned a lot from them. But I've had fifteen hundred students over the course of eleven years, um, that I've all learned from. Uh, I got colleagues at, at Evanston who have really helped and supported like me as an educator. Mm-hmm. And there's there's a, a lot to <laughs> there's a lot of folks to to name, like my work wife, Janae McAlpin, um, you know, Marcus Campbell has, we've known each other. He actually kind of, I don't want to say like plucked me, but um, like when I was doing a, a practicum experience for, for Avid, that's how I got connected to Evanston. Um, and so I've, I've had a lot of folks um, that have taught me things. Um, and worked with me. And we've, you know, we've learned together, we've struggled together. Um, you know, Celeste, I'm sure you remember the class that we had and the folks that we were working with. Mm-hmm. That that was, these were times where I, I think we had opportunities to do collective work. And mm-hmm. so every, every, um, I, I think as I reflect every engagement I've had, I've been able to pick something up mm-hmm. um, and to learn You know, and I can go on and on and on about the the people.
1: (laughs) So you're basically saying like your interactions uh, with teachers and scholars that kind of shapes, you know, your teaching and influences your teaching. And students. Uh, and oh okay. Yeah. Perfect, perfect. Um,
0: <laughs> so I, I kinda yeah. And I and I love what you said too about like teacher ancestors yes. and elders because I think it just goes to show how like you know, when you when you take a step back from like the the um the teaching profession as it's been made into kind of like a Catholic scam. Yeah, yeah robotic. It like <laughs> can, right? can be so transactional. Absolutely. <laughs> it can be so transactional. And if you think about it as a transformational experience and you look for your elders and you look for people who have influenced you, there's so much opportunity for transformation there. And some of those people are people you coexist with and like to not take advantage of them, to know that like the people around us are people who are helping to transform us as well. Um, that's just so, it's yes. such a helpful reorientation because like. I don't know like 2020 has been hard and also virtual learning it's like like you're trying to just survive in this context, um, much less be like thoughtful and like consider our yes. elders, consider those like like grander things that right. we should be striving for. It's so helpful for you to, to hear you like name all those people. It makes me want to go through and like actively name the people that I like deeply love and appreciate. And I might nice. do that yeah, when we're off. Yeah. <laughs> this yeah. call. And um and I wanna know, like <clears throat> I, I have a couple questions to follow up on that. One is like what, what are, like Nina was saying, what do we see when we go into your classroom that is a direct um, influence from those from those people you've learned from that are that are hmm. your practices that are that are learned from those elders from those inspirations. So what are the what are the practices? And then also um, and those practices that are like particularly I'm I'm curious particularly about the ones that are subversive because knowing who you are like I know you're not trying to just be like and here's the you know um, hegemony of the <laughs> United States like you're you're subversive in your teaching. Um, so yeah. I want to know what that looks like and I want to know like you were saying you learn from your students how are you students yeah. pushing back on you so that you learn from them as well like so what is that what is the what does the practice look like in your classroom and what do you get from your students that helps you transform as an educator
2: oh yeah those are those are great questions um yeah Thank you.
0: <laughs>
2: so, um i think the look for is when you step into my classroom before it was you know transformed by covid because i i went back to my classroom and they had taken desks out and the 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 spacing it was it was so strange to be in that space um but my my classroom i think i've tried to make it feel like home um i want my students to know who i am i try to model that vulnerability um so that they see that i'm you know a person i always tell them like if you see me in a grocery store like don't be awkward say hi like don't be surprised that i'm buying pizza or that I eat chips because <laughs> I'm human too. Like I like to eat. <laughs> so yeah, like talk to me about the time you saw me in the store and you're like, well, oh, I didn't know if I should say hi. Yeah, come say hi. Um and I'm gonna tell you what I'm about to about to eat. Like, you know, um I, I try to have students understand me. Oftentimes we're asking young folks to learn how to understand themselves. And there's this connection to one another that I think is, is really devoid of that discernment that we're living, we're coexisting together. And so the power dynamic that's typically been associated between teacher and student, um, I think interferes with the ability for one another to see our, our humanity. Right. So I yeah. want my students to know like I'm a human, you know, and, and then I see mm-hmm. you as, as humans too. Um, so yeah, I got a lot of stuff. I got a lot of Philly. I got, you know, just cause I like to travel. I have, uh, I pick up license plates from places that I've gone to just as, you know, that's mm-hmm. like my thing. And, you know, so I, I, I try to have a representation of stuff. Um, and I think over the years... Okay, so when I first became a teacher, I was like, oh, I need posters. And I went on, like, all or whatever. They ain't getting no royalties from this. Um, when I went on there and I, like, bought all these, like, traditional, like, this is mm. what a history classroom looks like. So yeah. I had, like, just real... Basic stuff, <laughs> and over the years, I realized I said, "Oh, this stuff ain't really representative of me or my students." So that's something that I've I've learned too, mm-hmm. um, and so I mm-hmm. think that's been a shift. Uh, I also have borrowed from some of my my colleagues um, what they've done. You know, it takes time. Like you know, if, if you're a new teacher, you're not going to have the money and the funds to go out and buy lamps to put into your classroom.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, that's something that's taking time. So my classroom has lamps. I don't use the institutional lighting. Um, Mm. I try to keep it warm. Um, You know, just and I know this seems like these all seem like real basic things. But like I said, I've learned from my colleagues. I've learned from folks to have it exist in ways where, you know, people can show up and be themselves. So when you first walk in, I got a -hmm. bottle hand sanitizer. (laughs) which now seems like, you know, that's just funny in in hindsight. Uh, But I've always had a (laughs) bottle of hand sanitizer and some lotion so that you can come in here. Mm -hmm. Don't worry about being ashy. And that's actually, you know, I've actually gotten to connect Mm. with a lot of students, particularly students of color who are coming back and they're like, oh, I know Winchester got lotion, you know, or just like random students who walk in the room and squeeze the lotion and walk out. Then I go chase him down the hallway and say, "Next time you walk to my room, say hi, okay?" That's um, awesome. <laughs> that's so a way it's, to it's, connect.
1: It's, a way to connect. Yeah, let Yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah, little right. stuff that's like good. that. That's good. Bro.
2: Um, and that's that's just about how you were setting up a space.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, mm.
2: you know, I I had an old couch in my house, and I was like, I was trying to get rid of it. Craigslist, you know, no one no one bought it. Um, And then I asked, um, uh, you know, my um, ex at the time, like, help, can you, I I, need to take this to school. I know I can put this in the space there. There's a lot that we are able to do in Evanston, and I know it's not, (laughs) Um, it it doesn't work everywhere. But I got a nice old, not old, but there's a couch in the room where kids can go and sit on the couch Mm -hmm. and i know i sat
0: on that couch it's cozy
2: (laughs) yeah (laughs) and like i know it seems extra but these are these are little things i mean i i bought some uh those little bouncy bungee chairs from target Mm -hmm. i i've tried to do things to make it feel like a cozy place um okay so you
1: really feel like the, the 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 environment and the class and getting to know uh, you as a teacher, um, as a person, um, is really important in your teaching. So um, did I did I sum it up You summarize that. Yeah. Okay, okay. Uh, I think next I would kind of go into, like, right now you yeah. talk about, oh, go ahead. I, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, I just yeah, yeah, want to know, too,
0: like, what, what happens when in your classroom when you, when you do teach? Because as a history teacher, like, there is so much. Um, there is so much possibility for like critical engagement and in, in history and like mm-hmm. I, I wonder what that looks like and and I want to hear that piece about how students push back on you and how you learn from your students because you named them as teachers, you named them as yeah. inspirations for you and I want to hear that part too. I'm, I'm curious what that looks like for you before we yeah. before we <laughs> before we go on to the next thing. I do want to oh, hear it's that. All good. Yeah, so, so as, you can talk as, about a lesson or
1: something or some way that you present a lesson or whatever a a situation that happens, so that'll kind of show us like where this stuff shows up so
2: so as as you alluded to uh um nina Nina. 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 It's okay. Nina. I was like, I, like, I want to be able to it. Do, was right? it, it was a test. It was a test. It was a test. Nina.
0: All right.
2: Y'all got it. It's Nina, y'all. Um, yeah, I
0: can edit this audio, too. Don't you worry. No, don't.
2: Keep it there. Keep it there. Because I'll come back to so that. So
0: transparent.
2: Names. Cool. Names are important, right? It yeah. is. Um, yes, it is. And, you know, me struggling <laughs> with a name... Um, or making sure I say a student's name right um, mm-hmm. is just one way that you can, you know, show a, show someone that you see them, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Get my name right. Yes. Um, and so I might say someone's name incorrectly like I just did, which is the second time, you know, that's <laughs> happened in this conversation, y'all. Um, and, you know, I'll own it. Um, and I don't think that's something that adults do like Mm. we 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 put on this air of perfection which i have to admit i don't like making mistakes and i don't like being wrong so um it's a it's a hard Mm. vulnerability um but we have to we have to show that we we are making mistakes and we're we're aiming to to learn as long as it's not at the expense of our like our kids and their humanity um is once you violate mm. that that's like a huge breach of trust and you have to really work to restore that mm. um, but uh yeah like you, um, Nina you were mentioned in the, the the dial the dialectic and I think that's something that I learned from boggs um who mm. like engages in this dialectical way of thinking and, and realizing that when you have ideas that are opposing or contradictory and you're striving to find that truth that that's a part of how we mm. understand and grow. That's how our ideas change and shift. And so mm.
0: Grace, yeah, 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 Grace thank Lee you. Um,
2: yeah. And so I've tried mm-hmm. to instill those principles in how I teach and how I present information, mm-hmm. um, particularly as a teacher of U.S. history. I'm not interested in whitewashing anything. So mm-hmm. um, I realized, you know, like take an AP framework, which uh some of the curriculum writers may argue they've tried to deconstruct the whiteness and eurocentricity in the curriculum but it's still that and so how can you work to complicate narratives um introducing other texts and it's not just an introduction of a text to say okay here's something to look at but the 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 questions around how does this challenge that dominant narrative how does this challenge white supremacy we're talking about white supremacy this year good people it might make some of you uncomfortable but guess what this is the world in which Mm -hmm. we live and i'm not going to sugarcoat it Mm -hmm. um and i want us to learn and and be challenged to deepen our understanding right um i want us to exist Mm -hmm. and and be better um and then something that i I share mostly in my in my social my social classes because those are um it's an elective space and it feels if it just feels more like a family i'm like y'all do you realize one of one of the the reasons why i'm so um like interested in this space too is that y'all are about to graduate and you're going to be making decisions um i mean this is true for all my students but you're going to make decisions that impact me right and i've had to be Mm -hmm. conscious of the decisions that are impacting you in this space But now you got to take this and think about how we're going to engage with other folks. Hmm. So a lot of it is Hmm. is about, you know, how we position ourselves alongside one another um, to, you know, better understand how we how we exist. Um, And to realize that
1: Hmm.
2: if we don't change our hearts and minds, then our realities also won't change either.
1: Hmm. So how do your students feel Hmm. about that? Like when you're talking about like this, Hmm. I mean, this sounds really theoretically it sounds phenomenal right to to be talking about we're gonna deconstruct whiteness and white supremacy and things of that nature and in, in history class so what what is going on in your class when you're saying this stuff and you have a class four classes full of uh what white males or is it white females and males uh or hey, it's, a, a, what, it's a it's a it's, it's a, 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 a mix? mixture
2: yeah yeah um I you know what over over the years it's it's been interesting. It's been interesting. I was like I don't know how much of these stories I can say and share. Um you know, <laughs> I've uh I've had kids ask me if I was communist. Mm. Um mm. I have had I'm like really hesitant to share, but I think this is a part of the learning. Mm. I've mm-hmm. been Um, challenged when discussing you know Angela Davis's work in conversations around um, what's you know uh, apartheid in Palestine as as being Mm. Mm. Um, Mm. Mm. anti-Semitic I have had uh, folks say that I have an agenda in my teaching Mm. um hmm. but those those examples are uh few and, and far between um hmm. but i wanted to share that because there are times when what i do is challenged um yeah. and that's hard <laughs> um Especially when you navigate the world with the identities that you do, um, because oftentimes those challenges are a challenge of, of your personhood. They're a challenge of my personhood. You know.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, yes, you're a black man. Right. So that's um,
2: like a queer yeah. black, a queer black. Yeah, man, you know? yeah. So that's um, hard.
1: It's hard right now. it's, it's, it's been yeah. hard, but right now it's even it's even harder uh to to do that Mm. and to constantly see the media uh that's i also wanted to ask you about that i know we probably are gonna (laughs) jump around a lot but you know um as a black woman um when when i i've seen like all the video footages of different uh black men being murdered by the police um but for some reason um when i watched george floyd uh tape the you know the video of his him being murdered it just, I don't know if it was a, because I had saw so many before him, but for it just really galvanized something in me. And I, I just said, you know, I, I have to be talking about and thinking about my blackness, even though I'm teaching science, I, I can't separate them anymore. I can't be like, I'm this teacher and I'm teaching you science and you better learn science. You know, me being black or something that's happening in the black community, I may not push it to the forefront, or, or, even talk about racism in my teaching, and so um, how has it been for you as being a, a queer black uh, male uh, since this, you know, whole George Floyd thing happened? Like, did it strike you any different? How, you know, how what's your been your experience uh, teaching?
2: Ooh, loaded. Um, so I, I, I think there are moments. Where it's hard for me to I would say especially this year um, with so much with, with, with just the repet- like repetitious nature of it between you know George Floyd or Breonna Taylor or like you, I, the fact that over the duration of my teaching like I remember the first time we talked about Trayvon Martin right and how that was a a moment Mm -hmm. um and I had kids reflect and I think I threw these out and pardon me one wishes I didn't but I think I had them watch a clip of people talking about it um like they had their own understanding and then I found something from Gerardo Rivera who was saying just Mm -hmm. like well if he if he didn't do this he wouldn't have been targeted and it's like (laughs) um Mm. the fatigue that comes from constantly having to defend your like your existence is exhausting
1: Mm -hmm. and
2: there are moments when those conversations are like at the forefront and then there are moments where I'm like I just don't want to talk about this with Mm -hmm. (laughs)
1: y'all
2: and I understand the role that I have as an educator um, but there's ways where these realities just are, are hard. And sometimes, you know, I'll name that, um, or, you know, I'll say, I, I don't want to talk about, um, you know, the, the verdict or what Daniel Cameron is, is doing right now. Um, Mm. I don't have the emotional capacity to have that conversation with
1: you today. I totally understand Um, that.
2: So it, 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 I think it it ebbs and flows and it, it depends on, you know, where I am, but there's, there's a space for it. Um, there's definitely a space for it uh, but I, I did want to share how I think I've been challenged by students um, so I, I have um, uh, throughout, throughout my teaching career I've had very very few students who identify as Native American or indigenous um, and I had a conversation with the student. Um, this was a while back. Um, uh, the student was in like in school suspension and was working on an assignment for, uh, you know, his history teacher, who is also my work wife, um, and uh, mm-hmm. he was talking about it was the first time in his like eight years of schooling that a teacher had talked about native american history in a way that wasn't reductionary mm-hmm. and i was like dang i don't know that much i actually know very little um and had to reflect about why <laughs> and that erasure mm-hmm. um is intentional and it's it is. systemic it is know? um mm-hmm. and i think that the next summer i picked up a book and i was like All right, i need to learn some more so i picked up just one um and it it taught me so much um and also highlighted how much more i didn't know like where all my ignorances were Mm. turned out um the student that was in that in that space as a freshman uh was in my class as a junior um and so when it came time to um you know talk about Native American history in the context of U.S. history, I had a lot more. And the student at the end of the year was just like, this is one of the classes that has uh, allowed me to be me, essentially. And Mm. I was like, oh, that's great. So let me continue doing this. And this year, I have uh, another student that identifies as uh, Native American. Um, And in using some of the same materials, in trying to build capacity for our students to, like, even have a, a complexity around what they have learned about Native American history, trying to disrupt that, and build and create new knowledge, um, this student was like, "This is really painful for me to sit here and experience." Um, mm-hmm. Because even in the processing of Native American history, it's just fraught with microaggressions, and so the pushback and the challenge for me was like, and I don't, I don't think I ever was um, complacent, but it reminded me, it reminded me that what I was doing was not enough, mm. and so you know, we're, we're thinking about um, how students have taught me. I think this is an example of one where I have been pushed with, you know, this student who was just like, so in the course of, you know, our first quarter together, I've learned that um, from my peers that Native Americans lived in TPs and wore headdresses um, because that's how someone had depicted them in a political cartoon. Um, Some of the ways that the AP curriculum asks questions about Native Americans relegates their history to conquered and, you know, conquest. And so there's just so much that I had to go back to the drawing board and say like, well, wow. Even as someone who is trying to be anti-racist and to disrupt these different systems of oppression, I, you know, I'm still existing in a settler colonial space. I'm still existing um, mm-hmm. with areas of my knowledge. I have not been decolonized. And so what do I have to go back to do and find out yeah. so that
1: yeah. this, mm-hmm.
2: this student can have an experience where even mm-hmm. in the processing and the, the disruption that I'm attempting to do, Um, the onus doesn't fall on, on, um, you know, students who have had identities that have been marginalized traditionally, um, to have to bear the brunt of that, you know? So Mm -hmm. that, that, that's something that has, that sits, it's, and it's heavy on me, especially when I'm also combating just like whiteness.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs)
2: yeah like trying to mitigate that folks don't i don't think people mm. understand the like the emotional and mental labor that goes into that or the ways where you're like i want to make sure mm. i do this right or like i want to do this in a way that doesn't cause harm but you know at the end of the day there's still mm. moments where you're causing harm
1: That's yeah hard. Mm. yeah and i would i would definitely um at this point uh want to know like you know how do your colleagues uh what do you think they think about your teaching and um what would you recommend that teachers do like right now in this moment like yeah. just in general like we want to know like in the school the other teachers like how are they receiving you talking about whiteness in your class i mean i'm laughing because mm-hmm. it's like I couldn't imagine um, me telling my colleagues that we're going to deconstruct whiteness in here. I mean, I know it's history, but Mm -hmm. it's serious, right? Um, It's a serious thing that you do have to kind of talk about with students uh, if you're trying to have a real history class of the U.S. And so how do you think your colleagues kind of view that? Um, And then what would you challenge uh, teachers to do differently right now? Like, what would you say teachers need to be doing this right now? All of us.
2: So, so I yeah. I actually would say that it's 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 not a taboo conversation to have on, um, at least within the history department. Currently at ETHS, we got thirty. I think there's thirty two teachers, <laughs> um, which is a huge department. Dang. Um, uh um, you know, I can I can go into. You know some of my other colleagues spaces and and be like oh yeah you talking about this yeah we talking about it too cool so it's not something that um is just a a a me thing i think the way that i do it um differs of course because we all have different teaching styles Um, but i also know too that it coming out of my mouth and my body is different than (laughs) some of my other colleagues who, um, Mm -hmm. you know, and and I I think our department is, is actually like, it's, it's very diverse given some of the teaching demographics, you know, of the 31, I think there are maybe eight, um, like black identifying teachers, um, Mm -hmm. you know, you know, across gender, um, we have, Mm -hmm. yeah. And so it's not, the traditional like white male department his you know history teachers filled with coaches
1: but i would say i'm not even i'm not even thinking white male because you know uh, us you know as black folks we have to also think about our our own internalized racism where we take on the you know the ideologies of white supremacy too and, and, and and perpetuate them too um in schools and so i'm just saying like do you feel like you know they're in support of what you do um, and For you sure. find support there, authentic allies in a sense to yeah. your teaching and what you're doing. And so For since sure. you're saying yes to that, what would you say if you, if you had to give your, uh, me and Celeste or any other teachers um, that are teaching right now uh, in this pandemic or just in general, what would you say that they should do different right now? Like what, what's, what's something that you would say that they should do different? Um
2: you know I definitely think there's there's things that we can do like in the classroom but I feel like a lot of our work has to transcend just what happens in that space. Um we got to talk. Like I'm actually really appreciative that we're having this conversation. Um I don't know how often teachers from the North Shore connect with teachers in CPS and vice versa. Um, And that has a lot to do with the fact that we exist within these, like, geopolitical spaces, right? Um, What would it be like for, um, you know, us to talk about our collective struggles? Like, I know I'm sitting here um, existing in a district that has made commitments to have conversations with staff, with families, with students about... Um, you know, e learning, virtual learning. But those mm-hmm. <laughs> same affordances haven't happened in in CPS, right? Um, mm-hmm. and so I can sit back and say like, well, I'm good, but y'all aren't,
1: mm-hmm.
2: right? When there's this, mm-hmm. there's context that y'all might be going back to school after the break, you know. Um, And so Mm. I think what I'm saying is that we have to do a better job. And this is a challenge for me um, of like building coalitions uh, across these like artificial boundaries that have tended to divide us. And that's something that happens within schools. So like, you know, what does it look like to have a conversation or to work across departments or across disciplines? when we're told that we're a science teacher, or, you know, when we when we teach, um, you know, math, or English, or special ed, or whatever it is, we're 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 siloed because of the way that the structure is already set up. So we're not having conversations um, all the time in spaces um, because of those those borders, right? So I think we have to find ways to to engage one another Um, and that's a that's a hard thing to do (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. but it's Mm -hmm. the direction that I feel like we have to go Um, I've I've had the opportunity to work with teachers um, downstate like and I have learned so much Mm. about what it means to be an educator in a rural community Um, and if we don't Mm. see the connections that we have with, you know, folks that are in Carbondale or like Peru, I'm just thinking of random, like Illinois, if you name like a, a, like, you know, a European place, it probably exists in Illinois, like Texas, Illinois, I don't know. Um, (laughs) but, uh, you know, we, we have to, and I, you know, I'm not saying that to, 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 to joke for, as a joke. For anyone that does live downstate, but I'm I'm saying that we have to see how we are connected more than we are, um, you know, apart. Um,
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm I'm struggling Celeste to um, figure out you know a takeaway because remember we told you at the beginning that uh, we are like trying to do like at least one takeaway from the conversation. to, to our classrooms and so I'm I'm looking, you know, at all the things she said and so I'm like, oh my god, I, I do that. I, I've, I've told the students that I can't uh, separate my blackness uh and me being a woman and just really talking about myself because I do this thing called a life graph. So I kind of like chronicalize my life on a graph and I have pictures and I really tell them about my life deeply um, and I try to often connect make sure that they understand like the stresses that i'm under so they can see my humanity so i don't know if that's a, a a teacher of color thing where you're constantly trying to make sure students see your humanity so when you said that often i i know that i that's something that i'm constantly doing trying to validate my experiences so they can understand what my experiences have been as a woman in science we just watched marie curie movie today and every time i see her uh pushing uh to do that scientific work um and, and and then at the end of all that hard work they they don't recognize her as a scientist they're like who is this woman you know and it's like she's the woman that did this work you know and give her her, her due you know and so i you know i'm always talking about my own experiences as being shut out in science uh with the students so we we talked about it today so i definitely own all my mistakes um I definitely have posters up of of Asian scientists, Black scientists, women scientists. You know, just everybody that's excluded from science. I I have it in my virtual classroom. So I'm 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 thinking through all of this stuff, and I'm like I don't know. The only thing mm-hmm. just recently is I, that um, what you just said now is uh, building a coalition of of like talking to teachers. Uh, across, you know, like you said, in Evanston or in other spaces. And so that that's the only thing I can think of is to, like, talk to you again. <laughs> so, and, 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 and have a conversation with you again, and, and, um, hoping that... um, I was like, oh, I, I have to talk to him again. And that's what I've been saying in my mind. Uh, every time you t- said something else, I was like, I, I, I just need to talk to him again. You know, because I, I really feel like that's something... Uh, that I, I can learn from him some some more stuff, uh, but I felt like uh, most of the things that you were saying, it's like we have that common thing of just trying yeah. to make st- sure students see our humanity and see what we we're working with, and also you know dismantling um, and, and addressing uh, racism and stuff like that. And so uh, that's, that's 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 all. That's what I'm taking away from it uh, right now. Celeste, for me is the building of the coalition across, you know, the like you said, the the borders, right? The the fake borders that have been put up. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I'm thinking about, Celeste, for me. I don't know. What about you, Celeste? <laughs>
0: well I, I guess I'll just say like one of the things one of the reasons why I really wanted you to be on this podcast Corey is because I I remember your classroom like as a as an um, ELL paraprofessional it was me basically it was almost like I was taking the class alongside the student to be able to support them in their learning and I didn't I like hadn't taken a history class since maybe college I don't know it had been a minute so being in your room was impactful for me and I remember the couches I remember the lighting I remember the stuff on the walls like that was impactful for me as a grown ass woman um and so Mm -hmm. one of the reasons why i wanted to have you on here is because i know um what i what i saw in your teaching was that one thing that you are not is prescriptive And so when Kynina and I are like, give us a thing, like give us a test, give us our homework. You're like, "Mm, mm, I'm going to give you some more complicated questions. I'm going to give you a new framework. (laughs) I'm going to, yeah, but like, that's a different framework for me to approach this work with. that I feel like I need to, instead of like, I think we are, as teachers, are so trained with like, here's the standard you have to meet. Here is the lesson plan. This is the amount of time you're gonna do this in. Here is the assessment. This is what you're measuring. And you're, you're, this conversation has forced me to slow down and forced me to do that kind of reflection that, that I think Um, You mentioned Grace Lee Boggs, which is so like she being so impactful for you is so wonderful because she was she I don't know that she ever was a traditional teacher at the front of a classroom. Um, And yet and there you go. She just wasn't. And yet I was like, did I miss that part in her biography? (laughs) And yet she is known as an elder in Detroit. She is known as an elder in movement spaces. She is she is an educator period. Um, yeah. And so what she would do is she would complicate things for people. I hmm. think of Ella Baker that way too. You pose difficult questions and the work is for your students to meet that question, is to for the work for the students to to find those answers. And one of the words that really stuck out to me as you were talking, Corey, basically, alongside, because you mentioned doing stuff alongside your students. And I think that's a posture that I want to that I want to force, that I force myself. Um, that I, <laughs> God, I'm so like punishing myself. I'm really like <laughs> that. I really that I, that I that I want to challenge myself to to embody more often. So, what classroom. would that look like? To what think would about that look my like 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 myself, because We have to. I mean concretely, sure, concretely. Yeah, you like we need to give them something. Okay, so concretely what that might look like is posing a question to my students um, that that you know I I that I have my own answer to. Um, and being transparent to my students like I I am a human I have ideas and here are my ideas and I want to put that in a box over here I want to know your ideas like you you do not have to have the same ideas as mine but we're gonna grow together in our answers um, that that this is a collective experience so growing alongside them is not I am the holder of all the questions and all the answers it's I have questions too like I I have curiosities as well and y'all have your own experiences you grew up in different spaces you have different knowledge and they're valued (laughs) here and so if we're truly alongside I'm not gonna ask this question mm. from above you. I'm gonna ask this question alongside you. And that may sound abstract, yeah, but I do absurd. think that that's what good. it looks like in your lessons is that same vulnerability that Nina you were just talking about, like being vulnerable so that your students see you as a whole person, being vulnerable as not just an educator, but as like what Freire used to talk about, which is being a, a teacher learner, like you're, you're learning alongside students. Um, so those are the things I feel like, and and I think it's our job frankly, to put that, um, to, to figure out what that looks like in our own practice. Um, because I'm a Spanish teacher, Nana, you're a science teacher, Corey, you're a history teacher. It's gonna look different in our, in our curriculum, but I think, I think doing that work um, of trying to, trying to look at my lessons, trying to look at my, my units, trying to look at my assessments and like try to figure out where, where the alongside posture shows up. And if it's not showing up, how can I, how can I make sure I'm embodying that more? Not perfectly, but, like, more. She (laughs) wasn't, yeah. Yeah, we're grateful to have you, Corey. This is really special. Um, And I I don't know if you have anything you needed to add, Corey, to um, kind of sum up your presence here. Um,
2: Uh, Okay, I'm going to try to keep them short. Two things I was thinking about. (laughs) um, Just in terms of, I think, things that I share. Um. But you asked for it. I don't know why these didn't come up earlier. Um, one thing that has been helpful, and again, like I know in some cases I do this well. I don't know how well this happens all the time, especially this year. <laughs> um, but I, I think a, an important question to ask yourself is do your students know and understand your intentions? Mm-hmm. are they able to articulate them and I think that's a huge question um, and do they understand how they themselves are reflected in those intentions so there are some teachers that will be able to say yeah like of course I know like my students will know what I'm doing um, and that could be like uh, yeah I gotta get them they gotta get fives on this AV test or you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm here because I'm getting a paycheck. So, it, and I know those are some some not good, not great ones. Well, that last one wasn't a great one. Um mm-hmm. but no, sometimes, true, like, though.
1: It's true. It it's is. Not, some people yeah. are there for the paycheck. Right, <laughs> and
2: kids kids know that.
1: Yeah, they do. Um, Absolutely. But they
2: need to understand that your intention reflects, especially when we're talking about are black and brown and indigenous are queer kids like folks whose identity has not been seen in that space do they know that and for kids who enjoy um the privileges of this world to know what responsibility they have in understanding identities outside of their own right um so that intention piece is is, uh, is one that I think a lot about. Um, there was another one, but I lost that train of thought. So I'd like to come back. <laughs> hey, y'all, we can come back.
0: Mm-hmm. Corey, yeah, Corey part two, yes. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for listening to Pushing Praxis, Dialogues for Transforming Teaching. We hope you enjoyed the episode and we encourage you to like and share this content with your community. Follow this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, get in touch with us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or email us at pushingpraxis at gmail.com. Check out our website at pushingpraxis.org.